Very nice to be here again. I always love to come to California. I was telling my friend who I'm staying with, uh, you know, just, just this weather is just so perfect to me. It makes me so happy. I said, I don't know how anybody could be depressed in California. <laughs> it's just, I can't imagine it. It's so beautiful. So I, I thought uh, I'd talk some tonight about um, the Buddha's instruction on contemplating the body. Um, you know, uh, more recently, just kind of revisiting uh, the basic core instruction uh, that he's offered in the Satipatthana Sutta and just trying to tweak it and understand it more. Uh, it's a very powerful teaching where he gives all of the guidance for how to be with our experience of the body and mind um, and so that we can have some insight into its true nature. And uh, one of my um, teachers, Ajahn Amaro, said, Recently, that I don't know the source of this, but it was very fascinating to me. He said that um, late in his life, the Buddha said that um, he could have taught this sutta for his whole lifetime and nothing else, and um, that he wouldn't have covered everything that there is to cover in this in this particular teaching. I thought that was really uh, fascinating, you know. So um, it helped me too, both as a teacher and as a student myself, to realize that, um, you know, oftentimes we come to the meditation practice and you hear the instruction this, you know, one or two times and then you think, we think we've got it, you know, we think we know what to do, you know. And so this, just that simple reflection can really serve as a reminder to keep visiting it, keep revisiting it and trying to get a, a direct sense not only from what he's saying, but then looking into our experience and seeing over and over again. Um, just tweaking it and trying to get more and more precise on what he's telling us to do. Because really, remember, you know, all of his teaching is about a freedom from suffering. He wants us to be happy, you know. <laughs> he wants us to have a good time. And so um, the idea is learn how to do this so that we can be happy and free from difficulty. So obviously if we, we, you know, if he could talk about it his whole life and not cover it, we're not going to cover it tonight. And Certainly the whole sutta deals with um, the, the teaching about uh, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, uh, mindfulness of the mind, and, the mi- and of mind objects. Uh, so that's, you know, that would be like a series if we were going to do that. So we'll just stay with the body, and even within the body, I, I know I can't cover everything tonight, but I thought I'd just pick out some of the bits that um, might be most useful. So the effort here... Um, in the foundations of mindfulness and in the meditation practice is to really tune into the body and endeavor to have as a precise and direct experience of it as we possibly can. And this is, this, I find this to be really, really huge because I don't, I think we're just not very connected with the body at all. Very few people are. Even people who make their living doing it, you know because of the tendency of the mind to pick up physical experience sort of conceptually or to just uh, either get totally lost in experience that's going on at this level or resistant and contracted around it or just ignoring it, you know, I mean, really, literally ignoring it. I mean, I, I remember a few years ago, I just had this sense of my being, m- myself, as like this huge head walking around with these two little appendages, you know, for arms and these two little feet, you know. It's just like the whole, my whole world is going on up in here, you know, in, in terms of actually it, being in the body and moving through space in it 
and having a direct experience of it. Um, it was just realizing how rare it was for me, and I suspect that's true of a lot of people. <clears throat> so he's trying to get us to be with it. Um, and so he invites this contemplation. And in this sutta, he begins with uh, the mindfulness of the breathing, which, as you know, is very important. Um, it's a basic part of the meditation instruction. And, um, uh, but still, it has to be said that this, this particular sutta on the meditation is the shorter version, is about 10 pages long. And this uh, awareness of the breathing is only the, the first half page. You know? So there's a lot more to the meditation practice than this. But it's, but that's not to de-emphasize it. It takes a whole, it, it ends up being um, a huge part of it because it's such an anchor. You know, that, that um, the mind keeps wandering so much that, uh, you know, you need to lock on to something that is always there, that you can always keep coming back to. So uh, certainly as an anchor, it's very important. But the mindfulness of the breathing um, has a lot more to it than that. You know, it's, it's not just attending to it and trying to stay with it. Uh, I, and I think if, we, if I just read a little bit of what he's saying and dissect it a little bit, I think you'll get an idea. So he starts off saying, you know, you go to the forest, you sit at the root of a tree, basically setting up mindfulness in front of us. And uh, so, you know, you can get the picture. He's sort of saying, get relaxed, you know, <laughs> settle down, go out to the woods, don't, uh, you know, pick an environment or a context that you don't, you have uh, less opportunity for distraction and more opportunity for relaxation. So doing, uh, establishing oneself in that way. And then he says this, ever mindful, one breathes in. Mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in long, he understands I breathe in long. Or breathing out long, he understands I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he understands I breathe out short. He trains thus, I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in experience, uh, breathe out experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in tranquilizing the bodily formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out tranquilizing the bodily formation. So there's a whole progression within this that I think it's very important to, to take note of. Uh, first of all, starting out by uh, noticing the breath without any opinion about how it is. Generally, this first part, breathing in long, I know that that's what's happening, breathing in short and, and breathing out long and out short. That the, the, the way that this is generally interpreted is that one is sitting here and not um, concerned about how the breath is, not interfering with it in any way, not trying to make it be another way, but just noticing that it's this way now. And so I don't think the long and the short is particularly the point. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, you don't have to sit there thinking, oh, that was a long one, you know, that was a short one. You know, that's, I don't think that's the point, but more um, that you're not, you're impartial. Uh, so just feel what that takes. I mean, this is a very settled situation when uh, you're that um, settled that you can actually, actually noticing the way the breath is and not going with it either way, or not caught up in it being some other way. So that's the standard interpretation for that. And uh, I'd just like to offer another one that doesn't have to contradict it, but rather parallel it. Um, 
And this comes from uh, one of the, the monks at Chithurst where, you know, he was reading this and he said, well, you know, I just, I just can't imagine that the Buddha really means, you know, long and short breath in this. What, what, could, what, what could that possibly mean? And then just watching his experience, noticing that, you know, when, he, when you sit down, when you first sit down to the meditation and you um, connect with the breath as an object, there is a way that one first rides the breath a little bit. You know, it's like, see if this is true. You're sitting there and you go, you're breathing and you go, you know, you're kind of right up close to it and sort of riding it as if it was a wave and you were on a surfboard or something like that. But then after a while, maybe even just a few minutes into the sitting, you might notice a shift begins to take place where your back, it's almost like you're back more from it. You, you've actually from riding the breath have gotten a lot more settled and now it's as if you're back here and the breath is coming up in front of you and can you feel that it's like if you can feel that little shift taking place then uh, it's actually a sign that you've, you've you've gone down a few notches it's as if you got in the elevator and you went down a few floors so you're you're a, a lot more settled than you were when you first sat down can you feel that so that this he's saying, like the long is this, you know, you're riding it a little bit, and the short is your back, and it's like you're noticing it more like a conductor leading a, a, a concert or something. And, and it's at that point that you will notice, you'll begin to notice, you'll, you'll take in other things. Then you start to hear the sounds in the room and notice the sensations in the body, things like this. So can you feel that? <clears throat> There's a distinct difference in the degree of one's um, relaxation and awareness at this point. Then this next bit <clears throat> where he says, I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. So you can notice that <clears throat> at this point, now that you're more settled, you're beginning to actually become aware of um, things that are going on in the body in a much more marked way. You know, it's, uh, if you're focused, that, that the attention will naturally begin to pick up more things. And while we're still with the body, it's going to pick up more things in the body. And then they said, this is actually sort of the basis for if you've ever done um, the body scanning meditations. This is part of where the, the basis of that comes from, uh, noticing the whole body. You can actually literally start, we'll start with the head and go through the body and scan to the feet and back up again. Just being aware of what's happening um, specifically like that, or just holding back in, in, a, in a more broad way, you'll just be picking up more that's going on in the body. And then this last bit, <clears throat> Tranquilizing the bodily formation. Breathing in, I tranquilize the bodily formation. Well, you know, um, in other parts of the teachings, we know that the, the Buddha talks a lot about mental formations, you know, where the, the formations are uh, constructs in the mind, conceptualizations about experience. So what if in this he, he's actually saying that what's happening now is that one's conceptualizing about the body is beginning to drop away. You're actually experiencing it more and more directly. 
You know, there isn't this sense of like picturing the breath coming in and out or picture or conceptualizing about sensations as being pain or something like that, but actually feeling um, the, the direct experience. So, I mean, looked at this way, this whole thing on the breathing, in, in some ways, you could, almost, you, you could almost interpret this as not even so much an instruction, but a description of what will happen if you just pick up the breath in this way and pay attention to it, ride it a little bit, stay with it, notice that as you stay with it, you're going to get more settled, you're going to start tuning into other things. The body itself, the, all the different aspects of the body will begin to become more apparent to us and the conceptualizing about the body will begin to drop away. So you can, see, you can feel if, that, if that's what he's getting at here, and, and I think it is, then um, he, he's setting us up very nicely <laughs> for um, uh, a lot more in terms of insight and understanding as to how the body works, what's going on with the body. And then there's this refrain that happens throughout the sutta after each section like this where he talks a little bit about um, insight into um, the impermanent nature of things. So I won't get into that, but um, just know that if you, you know, it's a very interesting part of the sutta, each aspect, okay, you've got the breath, okay, now you will begin to notice that it keeps changing, you know. Then the next bit, I think is really fascinating. At the second part, he goes into um, the four postures. So interesting, because you get, you get all settled, and now he's bringing in, okay, be aware of um, the body as it's standing, sitting, walking, and lying down. When walking, a bhikkhu understands I am walking. When standing, he understands I am standing. When sitting, he understands I am sitting. When lying down, he understands I am lying down or he understands accordingly, however his body is disposed. Now, I don't think he's saying here that we walk around and think, oh, look at me, I'm standing, or look at me, I'm sitting. You know, I, don't, I don't think it's, that's what he's getting at, but more that the, the understanding is more like a, just a very subtle awareness. I know, I know what's happening. I, I, am not, I haven't lost my focus. I haven't lost my attention. I am still very much embodied. And uh, I'm, I'm aware of the movement from diff- one posture to another. Now, often we, we talk about this as something that's done in a way, um, especially on retreat, that we do this so that we keep the mindfulness continuous, you know. That, you know, you, you, it's not just what's, what you're doing on the cushion, you know. You've got to pay attention when you get up and walk around and when you're lying down and uh, in all four postures. And... So that, you know, the, the idea is it's not very useful if, it's only, if you can only do it on the cushion, you know. You want to be able to do it moving around and um, as well. So that's, I mean, that's part of it. I think that's part of what's being said here. But I think there's a lot more in this than just that, you know, than just this sense of keeping the awareness continuous. Because, um, and, and just consider it, that one thing, for example, one notices, if you really start to pay attention to, in, in such a way that you notice yourself changing postures a gazillion times throughout the course of the day, how many times does that happen? You know, and, and most of it is happening, well, all of it is happening, it's like we, we're not even thinking about it, we just do it. So if you keep watching like that, 
for, as he says at the end of the sutta, just seven, seven years, seven months, seven weeks, seven days. Just do it for seven days. You know, it's got to begin to dawn on you that you're not doing this. This body is like running itself. It, it moves around. You know, it's, none of it, is, so very little of it is conscious. So I think he's really getting at a, a potential for some dramatic insight into the fact that um, the body is not self and intention is not self. That these movements are happening in ways that um, are outside of any uh, CEO. You know, <laughs> there's not somebody in here running this show. And you get, you got to get that after a while of watching it, you know. So I think you can have a direct insight into uh, non-self. You can certainly have direct insight into impermanence because of the changeability of the whole structure. But I think a really big one that you can learn a lot about is um, dukkha, uh, suffering and difficulty. Because um, you know, the one, it's said that the, the one obstacle, the primary obstacle to insight into dukkha is changing postures <laughs> because we every time we get a little uncomfortable you know the slightest little thing and you're, you're moving you know up down you know go get something to eat uh, go sit you know sit down stand up walk around whatever you know it's happening constantly um, and you know it's one of the things that like when we go on retreat uh, so many of the meditators comment about how much pain there is in the body, you know. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's really not that there's any more pain than usual. You know, it's just that we're not changing postures all the time. So you sit there and, and you see it. And sure, we can whine and complain about it, and, and then we won't have insight, you know. Or we can um, keep the attention as bare and clean as we can, and we'll begin to see, you know, to really have some direct understanding of the truth of the way it is. You know, there is dukkha. <laughs> there is difficulty. And body dukkha is one of the biggest ones, you know. Uh, and it can be a great, great teacher. You know, anybody who's ever struggled with the aches and pains in the morning, you know, and tried to work with that as a practice can, can attest to that, you know. I know a number of a number of people and I've talked about this. You know, where how many years we spent um, trying to get the right mattress and the right pillow and the, and the right pajamas and you know the right temperature in the room and eat just eat before you go to bed, don't eat before you go to bed, whatever, all to avoid this ache that you, you know it takes place when you first wake up. You know, it's like. I've been battling that for 10 years, you know, trying to, trying to figure out what to do so that I, my body won't hurt in the morning, you know, instead of just really getting it that, uh, well, it, 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 that's the way, oh, <laughs> that's the way it is, you know, it hurts. And no amount of changing postures and fluffing pillows and anything like that is going to um, rid us of, of that experience. And, and the, the irony is, I mean, I think the irony it, when, when we get that, is you're so happy, you know. It's, it's like I've been fighting this discomfort in the body for so long, all one's life, you know. And you just get it that, oh, it's like that. Oh. <laughs> that you can just settle down and, and accept it and receive it, you know. But I think a lot of that insight 
can come from attending to this simple thing of, of being in the different postures and noticing what happens around that. So there's a couple of other things in here that I think I'll just, I'm just going to skip and go to um, this other one, which I think is primary, which is uh, contemplating the four elements. Um, and here's what he says. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews this same body, however it is placed, however disposed, as consisting of the elements thus. In this body there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. That's pretty far out. Like, you know, I felt like it was kind of, when I first read that, it was like, oh, this is a, you know, I feel like I'm kind of in a, either in a Native American teaching or some, some kind of New Age teaching or something like that. You know, it just didn't feel like Buddhism all of a sudden. But then look at it and see what he's saying in this. That um, really, when it comes down to it, the experience of physicality, the experience of matter, of the body, um, when we contact that in a very direct way, is nothing more than this. Earth, air, fire, and water. You know, it's, it's, he's talking about sensation here. There's, you know, you, you may know, he, he talks about the five senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and sensing, touching. Um, seeing, hearing, smelling, and tasting are actually not what he refers to as primary. They're what he calls derived matter, meaning that they're a combination in some way of earth, air, fire, and water. But that this fifth um, sense, the, the uh, sensation, the experience of touch and sensation, is this, is nothing more than this. And, you know, he's inviting us to get a sense of um, our physical experience at that level. That, that calls for uh, a, a fair amount of stillness and relaxation and a lot of attending because uh, we very quickly uh, add a lot on to these experiences. So that if there's, like if there's a sensation in the knee, it, it, it's very rarely contemplated as a, like heat or hardness or air, you know, movement or something like that. It's very quickly in a finger snap, and usually it's where we live, is, you know, it's pain. It, it's conceptualized. And once it's conceptualized in that way, then you're, you've moved out of the direct experience of physical. You're into a mental realm. You're relating to it from, as, a, as a notion, as an idea, and not actually for what the actual experience of it is. So he's saying, well, you know, tr- try this out. Get a sense of what um, earth is from within it. You know, all of this, he's saying, the body as the body, the body from within the body, so that you know, you become aware of, um, say, earth element, just as you're walking around throughout the course of the day. Where, if, if you ever have this sensation of having this load to carry around, you know, there's, it, it's heavy. This whole this body is heavy, and you, you know, you can feel it particularly when you lift up out of a chair, or or go back down into one. You feel the, the pull of gravity, um, the effect of um, that. That's a direct experience of 
of earth element, this uh, solidity, mass, and what have you. So like, say, when you're um, brushing your teeth or something like that, you know, just getting a, a direct experience of the hardness, the various ways that the body is hard, the bones, the teeth, you know, the skull, just the, the mass of it, the weight of it, and uh, endeavoring to connect with that. And just, just feel that. I mean, it just, if, you, if we could do that, even just a little bit more than we do, that right there, particularly the earth element, I think, has a very calming effect. It's very linked with samadhi because it's, um, it's a stabilizer. It's a relaxer. You know, when, you, when you're uh, sensitized to the earth, you will be more calm. So it has this other value, you know, not just in getting a, a direct experience of the body. And the fire, obviously, our bodies have, have temperature. You know, that's, that's very easy to notice. Um, especially if you're a menopausal woman like me. <laughs> you just get these flashes every now and then, you know, this, the, the whole thing gets on fire and, and then uh, recedes, you know. Uh, certainly we feel it um, with the various temperature changes throughout the course of the day, you know, where how many times a day do you take your socks off and put them back on or take your jacket off and put it back on. And just noticing that and endeavoring to have a, a direct experience of the changing of the body temperature you know, and, the, and getting it, that that's what's going on here. I mean, this it's wild. Is it, you can't, I can't explain it. It's like from the time that we're born to the time we die, there's like these elemental energies just kind of moving and changing and increasing and decreasing and stabilizing at some times. And um, it, it's just fascinating to become aware of it, uh, let alone to have the insight into the, the, the nature of it. So the air is very uh, evident in the breathing and things like that. Or... Like, you know, um, after a meal, the gurgling and the gut and stomach, you know, burps and what have you. Just the, the movement of uh, air in the body. And um, according to some Indian system, it's very linked with um, the electrical system, sort of the nervous system, you know. Like, you can almost feel like, you know, that little impulses that are going on throughout the body. That's supposedly very linked with the air element as well. All the space, you know, the uh, space that's in the body as well. And then certainly the water, you know, you can feel it in certain, um, just the, the moistness or the dryness at various times, you know, the need to put on moisturizers or creams or, um, you know, to take a drink of water, things like this. So just, it, he, he's getting at endeavoring to, to have a, a lot more direct experience of, of what's going on with the body. And, you know, you can do this by either featuring one thing over another, which I find very interesting. Just take a period of day and say, you're just going to try to tune into the fire element, see if you can notice it over a period of time, or the air element. And you can do this with the weather as well. It's, it's, he says it's the same internally, externally. What's going on outside of us is, is the same as what's going on inside. Or you can do it in this more raw way, where you're like a juggler, kind of tossing around four balls and you know, just noticing the change of one or another of these being dominant. So you know, here again, I mean, why, why do this? Uh, you know, I don't think that he's 
he's trying to get us to a point where we walk around saying, you know, something, look at me, you know, <laughs> I'm the four elements, you know. It, it's like, you know, that having a sort of a superficial um, insight into it at that level. But rather that this, this kind of contemplating, this kind of observing of the body experience is very, very, uh, again, very much linked with um, insight. What he's saying here um, is, I, I think the language is very important. Um, having an experience of the body as a body or in the body so that one can see that this is the way that it is. This is the way that it operates. It's not more than this, which I think is an incredibly powerful, um, potentially powerful realization. If, for example, one is happens to be in a, in a lot of discomfort and uh, pain, then the capacity to contemplate it in this way actually gets us sort of under that conceptualizing about it into the direct experience of it. And if you ever do that, you only have to do that once for your views about pain to be changed forever. To, to really, like to go into the experience of, say, a, say you're sitting with a pain in the knee and, and see what is it? What is this thing that I'm going nuts about? You know, that, that makes me go crazy at the slightest discomfort or disease. What is it? And when you go into it, it's like, it's hard. It's hot. It's cold. It moves. Now it's here. Now it's there. You know, and, and you can have these moments where it's like, that's what all the fuss is about, you know. It's not that much. It, we're, especially when it comes to things like pain, we're not, it's not only bearable, we're bearing it. We're actually enduring it, except for the preoccupation uh, with hating it. And so it, 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 if, you, if you drop it down to the actual experience, it's, it's actually quite manageable. And one can find a tremendous amount of peace just in, in that uh, capacity, you know, in developing that capacity and getting quite skilled at it. Which certainly for people who, anybody who is in chronic pain or something like this, this is a, a therapy that uh, is being taught now to, to really get it at a more raw experiential level. And so it also will help tremendously to break up um, all of the overlays that we put on those experiences, just to discern the difference between sensation, the feeling about that, which is finding it pleasant or unpleasant, and then all of the mental chatter that comes in about that. You know, these are all very discrete experiences. <laughs> you know, there's, there's the body, there's the, the finding it unpleasant, and the trying to get rid of it. You know, <laughs> dissect that, break that out. And it puts us in a tremendously powerful position in dealing with things that would normally just do us in. And I think the one that's been most helpful for me is just to um, begin uh, to, to recognize that these elements are rarely, if ever, in a state of homeostasis. You know, they're, they're rarely balanced. It's always too hot or too cold. It's like the Goldilocks effect, you know. It's too hard, it's too soft, it's too hot, it's too cold. You know, there's too much air, there's not enough of it, you know. What, you know just look at our experience like that. Look at how much we're um, uh, affected by the changes 
and the imbalances of these elements if we don't understand it, you know. But when you get it, that that's the way they operate. They're constantly changing and constantly in varying degrees of balance and imbalance, you know. Every now and then, I mean, really rarely, you know, you have this moment where you, wow, you know, I feel great, you know. Everything feels good, you know. Nothing hurts, nothing's too hot, nothing's too cold, you know. But that's, that is so rare. So just imagine life without the irritation that accompanies these changes. You know, it comes from observing them and cutting through um, what the mind does with the changes and just getting with them as they are. You know, I, last, uh, last summer I was at Amravati doing a retreat with uh, one of the nuns, Ajahn Chandasiri, and uh, the, the monks and nuns, they, they just really impressed me a lot with um, their practice. You know, the, you can see the effects of their practice and uh, it inspires one to, to do the same, you know. And she, th- this was um, during this uh, heat wave. I don't know if you remember this huge heat wave they had last uh, summer and, um, in, in Europe. Um, and there were people, you know, three or four hundred people died in France. It was so hot. And I was just across the channel in England and it was unbelievable. It came, came, it started on the second day of the retreat and it lasted the whole retreat. <laughs> and we were dying. I mean, we were just, people were rolling out in the grass at night trying to keep cool, you know, and filling the tub with cold water and immersing our bodies and, um, and these buildings that they have for the retreat center there. I swear, I don't know, but it seems like they're designed to keep the heat in, you know. And so it was like there was no place, there was no place to get comfort. And, um, you know, we would go out in the forest and then, oh, I remember we went out in the forest and then um, the forest was infested with fleas. So, you know, now you were hot and you had flea bites all over your body. You know? <laughs> well, this nun, this senior nun who was teaching the retreat, here she was leading the retreat, like holding us all together. And she's in these robes, you know, layers and layers of fabric, and sitting up a little higher where it's hotter, and giving us Dhamma talks and Dhamma instructions every day. And I think she never, she never said a thing about being uncomfortable. You know, and I just kept watching her. It's like, you know, sitting there with the rags, you know. I thought, my gosh, you know, such... Mastery, and, and it's not coming from a place of denial. You know, you could say, well, you could, sure, you could do that because you're repressing it all, you know, but um, it's, a, it, it's a situation of having made peace with the, the changes of the temperature. You know, I found it very, very inspiring to watch her and uh, actually have tried since then to make that more of a practice myself, just try to endure these changes and... Um, See what it's like not to say anything about it, you know, not to repress it, but to accept it, to be with it, and because often the saying something about it is pushing it away, you know. So just the the, the last bit about um, one one more thing about uh, working with the elements. I think if we can do this, then it can really help us to settle into a much more 
um, natural, uh, sort of organic experience uh, of life. You know, you're sort of getting with the natural rhythms of the body and the world that we live in. This is the way that it is. And uh, I find it very, very helpful um, connecting with the body in general because uh, I've become, well, I've become keenly aware that there's an intelligence here that um, the mind is always overriding, you know, with ideas and and views. Like, a good example is just, um, you know, like how much to eat, you know, it's like, the body, if if we're tuned to it, it, it knows when it's time to stop. You can actually feel it. There's like this little, you know, like a, that, that, it's like a burp or something that happens and it's, it's a signal. It's enough, you know. But then, you know, you've got the eyes and you've got the mind and you've got liking and not liking. And, and so, you know, that looks good. You know, and, and look, the eyes don't have anything to do with it, you know, <laughs> but it looks good, you know, or it tastes good, you know. And, and uh, you know, if you could just tune into the actual experience, then it's infinitely more helpful. And, you, you know, moving with this natural um, intelligence of the body. It, it, it's like the body fixes itself. It writes itself. It corrects itself. It knows what to do. It knows when it's too hot and you need to cool down. It knows when you're too cool and it needs to get warmer, right? I mean, if, you, if you've ever... It, it doesn't require a lot of mental activity. It, all of this stuff can happen without any thought and without any mental chatter or confusion or arguing, which is another big thing. You know, if you've ever argued internally over whether or not to put a coat on, you know. It, it can happen. But something else is getting engaged. And um, awareness of the body will help settle down into the body such that you, we're moving more with these natural rhythms. And um, I think the experience of that is one of infinite more contentment and ease and relaxation. Well, let's see. I've had a, had a few more thoughts, but I'm aware I've been talking a while and maybe you have some thoughts as well or some comments or questions. Let me just see if that's true. Yes. Yes, definitely. Oh, yes, yeah. I thought at first when you were saying that, I thought you meant, but you can also detach from it at a feeling level and at a mental level, um, which is the rest of the sutta, you know, where um, when you know feeling in the same way that you know physical sensation as that, and nothing more, and thought as thought, and nothing more, then, uh, you know, that's some fine seeing, you know, that's some mature practice to be able to do that. But uh, literally, what what he's getting at is being able to, you know, um, know an angry thought coming up in the mind, and 
because you understand it as thought, because you see it as a as a mental event that is not you. Uh, you don't. You have the option of whether to think it or not, or whether to go into it or not, and that gets stronger and stronger with the months and years of practice, to where you can actually just not go there, you know. But then, what the where you went with that is also true. That um, one of the best ways I find for beginning to be able to see it that way is um, to feel the effect of those states on the body. Especially states like anger and restlessness and anxiety. You know, if you if you get a good worry going, you know, <laughs> over something, and watch that go on for days and days and days, you know, what's that doing to the body? So if you turn the attention to the body and feel the consequences of that, that can be a great help in releasing it, because it's very painful. Yeah, it's like, uh, and that's an, another way where the system is tweaking itself. If you, if we get the direct experience of it, it's like the the mind and the body both know uh, what is what works and what doesn't work, what is good and what isn't good, and they and it, we start to naturally incline away from um, things that don't serve us, like obsessing. Uh, worry, you know, it's like, you know, that the five hindrances are hysterical in that sense, you know. It's like, I can't believe that we keep buying into these things, you know. It's like, you know, I'm afraid of something, so I know what I'll do. I'll worry about it, you know. And then you just buy into that and, and live in that state for, you know, however long it lasts. Yes. I'm thinking about what, what you just said, in relationship to physical pain. Right, exactly, so exactly. That's the part that is difficult to then my breath gets faster and my heart is racing and settling me down with pain. It's not that I need to focus on what's happening with the pain, it's just getting that other stuff to be not so broken. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Huge suffering. I mean, you know, it's as if, it, you know, you start to scratch the surface of this stuff a little bit. And you can't believe we're doing this, you know, because it's like it's bad enough that I'm in physical pain. You know, now I've, I've got this whole uh, future created, you know, this awful future created out of that. And I'm, and I'm anxious about that as well, you know. <laughs> we just added a tremendous amount to it. And it actually, uh, it, it's uh, coming from a, a, a tendency of the mind or a capacity of the mind, really. It, it um, associates and it imagines and it fantasizes. It, this is just what it does. This is how the mind works. So it will pick up any sensation, feeling, or thought and do that with it. So it'll remember, like you get, you get some, some pain and it, it'll remember all the times that you had that pain before. <laughs> you know, it's like, is this helping? You know, but, but that's what it will do. And then it will imagine, it will create a world wherein this pain is permanent, is never going to go away, you know, 
and, uh, and, and it's like uh, future suffering, you know. But actually, you, if you look at that, it's fascinating to watch it doing that because that is all actually bubbling up out of, uh, and in a way is a reactive pattern to it, you know. It's trying to get away from it, yeah. So, you know, you, break, you start to break this stuff down and you, you know, you, you, we're not fooled by its tricks anymore. This is just one of the many forms that aversion takes. It's uh, imagining um, this whole world. Fascinating, yeah. I've also been struck at times when I accidentally injured myself and seeing the separate part where it's almost this thing, I'm just outraged that, hey, wait a minute, that's, that's mine. <laughs> I don't want to see that thing get harmed. <laughs> and, and to be able to see that as separate from that's me and then to realize that it's just, and it's just another yeah. thing in this, in this universe. Yeah, yeah. I'm intimate with it because I always seem to follow it around somehow. <laughs> Great, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think this practice is fabulous. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I went through, um, I had quite a bit of computer work and I was working on kind of a deadline. I, uh, started to see signs of repetitive stress or mm. I was uh, just so like really focused on this work and I had some healthy work unhealthy work practices where it was just <laughs> <laughs> so so like tunnel vision that I wasn't um, really just being nurturing or mm. being mindful that mm. I can't just do that <laughs> yeah that's not going to last very long <laughs> and um um, so, I mean, it's kind of the opposite is, in some ways, being kind to, to yourself or yeah. um, noticing pain, but also recognizing that there's, there's a time to switch positions and to get up and do Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think, I think that tuning in at this level will actually help that as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like uh, we're, we're um, off to the races with this, with ideas that um, are t- uh, causing us to tune out from what's actually happening with the physical. Yeah, we've all done that. Yeah. I mean, a, a very common sort of everyday example is um, um, like not going to bed when we're tired and not getting up when, we, when we're awake. <laughs> you know, it's like, but the alarm didn't go off yet, you know. But you're awake, but it didn't go off yet, you know. <laughs> that little battle that'll go on is hysterical, you know. It's just, I mean, I've actually driven, I've driven past uh, exits on the highway, uh, making myself, just self-hold having to pee, you know, because it's, I don't want to stop yet, I don't want to stop yet, you know. Instead of just, you know, tuning in to the, what's going on with the body and, and do it, you know, do what it needs. It gets, it gets very confusing when the mind gets in on the act. You know, it is, these, are, these are events that have to do with the body. It's not, it's not the domain of the mind. But it will pick it up and uh, play with it, you know. Have something to say about it and distract and distort the whole uh, scenario. So, I mean, this, this bit of this sutta, where he's helping us to connect with the uh, the body through the, the whole body formation through the breathing and um, the four postures and the four elements I think this, this is just some really meaty practice instruction 
one that promises a lot, a lot of happiness if we can uh, put it to t- put it to the test. Yes. Uh, I know in the sutra it talks a lot about um, internal and external. Which is very rarely talks about external. Yes. And I read that the external is contemplating that other people have the same experiences. Uh, you give some advice on practicing like that. Yeah, um, uh, that's that's part of that refrain that I said that keeps getting repeated throughout. You know, it it talks about um, uh, contemplating uh, the body as a body, both internally and externally. And I mean, this is one of these things that the scholars go at a lot. You know, what is he saying here? You know, the 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 classical um, uh, explanation, which is what Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about in here, is that you can. You can have insights um, seeing not only what's going on with you, but seeing what's going on with other people as well. And somehow with the body, that might not, it might not be so obvious. I mean, I think, I think it's more obvious to me, like when somebody's coming at me with a lot of anger, I can learn about anger and how it works by seeing what it's doing to them and seeing what it feels like to be on the receiving end of it and things like that. So, you know, I've had a lot of insights that, that way. Like, oh, poor guy, you know, he's really pissed, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and understanding the nature of it and seeing, seeing how... I can often see how somebody else is suffering more with mental states than even I can myself. Uh, but the same is true with the body, that you can um, uh, understand what's going on with the body by seeing another person's. And there's, there's um, some techniques where you actually sit and breathe together, you know, where you're, you're actually watching each other's breath and working with it that way. Um, certainly, I think if you were working with somebody who was in pain, who was perhaps very sick or dying, um, you, would, you could learn a lot. Uh, it's not your experience. You're learning from their experience, things like that. You know, and certainly, I think, like, say, the postures, one uh, practice for people who um, can't move around, you know, quadriplegics, paraplegics, or people who are bedridden for one reason or another, they can actually um, do the meditation watching other people move around. So thank you for your attention and uh, your practice tonight. And. Uh